On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is illegal for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those with him? And he said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered, and the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and he stood there, and Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? Or to, uh, to save a life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them all, he's, uh, after looking around at them all, he said to them, uh, said to him, "Stretch out your hand." And the man did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury, and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. This is God's holy word. Turn to someone next to you and say, "Feisty Jesus." Jesus is in the house in this passage, and he's ruffling some feathers. How many of you want to be in the house where Jesus is? Sometimes it's awesome, and sometimes it's uncomfortable. This might be a little bit of both, but uh, Jesus is the master of life, and he has some things that everyone in this room uh, can learn from, Uh, not just because he's a great teacher, but because he is God and Lord and Savior. Uh, I have a question for you, kind of... uh, dovetailing out of this topic that we're, we're in. Have you, ever, have you ever had a season in your life that was so busy, you found yourself wishing you had an extra day in the week? Uh, how many of you have, have been so entrenched in uh, chaos or obligations or busyness uh, that you found yourself wishing that there were a few extra hours in the day. I wish there were 30 hours in my day. I wish there were eight days in my week. Uh, well, you don't have to wonder because somebody actually did that. France, 1793, uh, during the French Revolution, France actually dechristianizes the calendar and changes it from a seven-day week to a 10-day week. So nine days of work with one day of rest. And their intent with this was uh, to round up all the numbers to 10, so they did this with time as well. Instead of 60 seconds, there were 100 seconds, and so on and so forth. But also for more efficiency and more production. Uh, But unfortunately, it backfired horribly as scores of people were burnt out. Suicide rates all across France skyrocketed, and the production level of the country actually plummeted. And so years later... They rolled back uh, this little uh, tweaking of the calendar. It turns out God actually planned a pretty good calendar for us. Uh, He actually knew what he was doing. That seventh day in there wasn't just an arbitrary uh, comma at the end of a long sentence. He did it by design. And it turns out that when you mess with God's rhythms, you miss out on God's rest. God knows why he does certain things, and they're not arbitrary, and they're not random. They come with beautiful, good design for people that he loves and cares about. And it starts out even before humanity ever existed. It starts at the, at the creation narrative. 
back in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, the Sabbath came out of a flurry of God's creative activity where he's creating land and he's creating water and he's creating expanses between the land and the sky and he's creating all of this stuff and plant and out of that in each of these categories he springs up living beings he sp- uh, he brings to he brings forth plant life and animal life and then finally human beings made in his own image now you might think that that is the crowning achievement of God's creativity but that was only on the 6th day he doesn't stop until the seventh day. And I love what uh, Genesis actually says in, uh, in chapter 2, verse 2, where it describes God on, uh, it says that on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. It's almost kind of a clumsy sentence to put together, unless you understand what the author is trying to communicate. Did he finish his work on the seventh day, or did he rest on the seventh day? The author wants us to believe it's both. In other words, part of the apex of God's creative activity culminated in a day of rest. It was not so much God was getting busy for six days and that's where all the action was, and then he took a vacation, you know? Then he took his 10-minute break. No. The climactic apex, the uh, culminating element of all of God's work was on the seventh day. It's not so much that God needed a break from work. It's not so much that God needed to rest from work so much as that he worked into a place where he was resting. That was the culmination of all of his creativity. And then he takes that, something that comes out of his own nature, which is interesting, that God, the limitless, omnipresent, all-powerful being, actually puts limits on himself. He then puts limits on people. In Exodus chapter 31, verse 16 through 17, after he delivers Israel from bondage and slavery for over 400 years, one of the first things that he does is he gives them the Ten Commandments, and one of those is the Sabbath. And he actually says in chapter 31 of Exodus, the Israelites are to observe the Sabbath, celebrating it for generations to come as a lasting covenant. It will be a sign between me and the Israelites forever. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth. And on the seventh day, he rested and was refreshed. Later, when he renews his covenant with his people in Deuteronomy, he'll say the same thing, but with different wording. Listen to this. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. As the Lord your God has commanded you, six days you'll labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do no work, neither you nor your son nor your daughter nor your male or female servant nor your ox nor your donkey or any of your animals nor any foreigner residing in your towns so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Listen to this. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Two things he's telling them. One, you're going to observe the Sabbath because because of what it says about me. That's what I did. Two, you're going to observe the Sabbath because of what it says about you. You're no longer slaves. And I aim to give you a new script. Think about this. uh, uh, Israel living four centuries with scripts from Egypt. What do you think those were? You're worthless. You're worth only what you can produce. 
your, worth, or your, your worthiness and your value is tied up in brick and mortar, and you better pay the price. You better give output. They were beaten. They were mistreated. They were worked into the ground. They were nothing in the eyes of the Egyptians. Scripts like that don't just disappear. They must be massaged away with ruthless regularity. And so God starts giving new scripts. I don't need you to work. Just be. Saturday after Saturday after Saturday after Saturday. I don't need you to do anything for me. Just be. This was a new script that would come to transform the life of Israel as they slowly learned that God didn't love them because they were valuable. They were valuable because God loved them. And he did not need them to produce. He called them as his sons and daughters. Now, like any good practice, like fasting that we spoke about last week and all the practices that uh, are in the Christian's arsenal, reading the Bible, community, fellowships, small groups, uh, silence and solitude, the list goes on. Good things can often become bad things when we turn them into ultimate things. And the Sabbath is no different. There was a single question that marked people's discussion for centuries to come. Because all the Bible says about the Sabbath is thou shalt not work on the seventh day. You shall cease from all of your work. But it doesn't say what work is. So rabbis and students of the law would come along and begin to define what work was. Well, what is work? Is it working when I turn on my lawnmower or just when I push the lawnmower? Is it work when I use my hands to push the lawnmower or what if I just use my feet? Does that count as work? These are the types of discussions. I'll give you a real one. I made that one up. Can you tell? Here's a real one. Uh, is, work is not putting a pail of water down a well and retrieving that water. Oh, but tying a knot in the rope around that pail, work, can't do that. So you can, you can lower the pail of water down the well, but you cannot tie a knot. These were the types of discussions that the Sabbath started to evolve into. Over time, just rivets of rules and regulations around what you could not do. And what we're about to see here is a conflict, a conflict between Jesus and Pharisees, not about the goodness of the Sabbath, but about what it's about. The Pharisees could only see one thing, what the Sabbath told you you could not do. And so, in this story that we just read, all they can see when they see the disciples and Jesus is what they're doing wrong. Look at, the, look at the surface of, the, of two of these stories. The disciples are eating grain because they're hungry. Jesus is healing somebody who's sick, who has a withered hand. Great things. Hunger, healing. Food, healing. And the Pharisees can see nothing except for how they are doing something illegal. Well, you cannot pick grains on the Sabbath. Well, you cannot heal on the Sabbath. Do that on Sunday or on Monday. And Jesus right now is recalibrating what the Sabbath is all about. For the Pharisees, it might be about what you can't do. And not just the Pharisees, but that might mark some of our spiritual life. We've made it about rules and regulations. There's nothing wrong with rules and regulations. But when your spirituality 
the capacity for what your soul has been made for is all about what you can't do, you're going to get tired sooner or later. Jesus comes in on the scene to recalibrate what the Sabbath is about. Not merely about what you can't do, but what you get to do. And he starts by giving some examples. In verse 3 through 4, he brings up the example of David. And he says, well, don't you remember King David, the guy that you guys love? A man after God's own heart? Remember that one time where he was in the temple, his men were hungry, and he goes into the temple of the presence and he grabs that holy bread? That's a no-no. Then he brings up a question. He says, what is the Sabbath really for, verse 9? Is it to do good for other people? Or is it to squash them? What is the real intent of the Sabbath? Is it for good or for bad? And then, if there's any doubt in verse 5, he tells us who created it in the first place. The Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. In one fell swoop, Jesus says that the, he teaches that the Sabbath was created by God for people, not as a burden, but as a delight. It wasn't created to, to squelch and to smash people under an impossible weight of rules and regulations. In another, in another gospel, Jesus would actually go on to say, uh, the, Sabbath wasn't, uh, the man, Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It's a gift of God to you and I. Of course, some of you might be hearing this, and all you hear is Sabbath. You're cringing. Wondering inside, even as you're nodding your amens, wondering deep down, how could that possibly be a good thing for me? Do you even know my life? And in Western society in America, uh, the pinnacle of, of happiness for most people is freedom. Freedom to do all that you want to do whenever you choose to do it. Of course, when we think honestly and soberly about those types, those types of things, we know that that's not actually the best thing for us. That's an alcoholic, by the way. Complete, unrestrained freedom. It doesn't just stop there. Think of, think of a variety of examples. Uh, the American Society of Landscape Architects ran a, a, a series of research experiments with kids in playgrounds that I thought was interesting. Uh, they got some researchers together that wanted to determine the effect that a fence would have on the cognitive and behavioral patterns of children on a playground. So the first one, we constructed a playground with no fences. Think of that one uh, over by Alice Keck, that crazy dark one, uh, Shark World or whatever. Uh, kids World, sorry. It has a shark in it. It's crazy. <laughs> Kids world. Think of, a, think of a playground like that with no fence. You study these kids and they found, interestingly, that the kids were actually very, uh, very reluctant to go too far beyond the playground. They were reluctant to move. They were a little tepid, a little timid. Uh, a little cautious about everything, and they never quite veered too far from the center of the playground. In the second experiment, uh, the researchers constructed a, a simple fence around the perimeter of the playground. You wouldn't believe what happened to those kids. Almost immediately, their behavior changed. 
they went buck wild. They were running all over the place, and they actually took full advantage of the space uh, inside the fence, going all the way up to the fence itself, taking full advantage and roaming all over the space. Uh, this research suggested that uh, it's not like what we think. Some of you are saying, rules and boundaries inhibit our freedom. That's not true. Bad boundaries do. Good boundaries define our freedom, as seen in, the, in this experiment. And think of almost anything else. Think of music. Quintessential expression of human freedom and personality. And yet, in Western music, eight notes. Math is another example. Rules! <laughs> eight notes. You have to do something with those eight notes. And yet, no true musician says, I feel so hindered by these eight notes. No. Within the fence are creative masterpieces. Beethoven, Mozart, Tchaikovsky. We understand that when we're given healthy boundaries, we actually flourish as it was meant to be. You know what the Sabbath is? It's a healthy fence, given by God as a gift to human beings so that they might thrive. And to wash ourselves from the scripts given to us by the world around us and the culture and society around us that's constantly telling us who we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to do. But one day a week, we stop, we pause, and we say, I belong to God. I am no longer a slave. And then we jump back into the swell on Monday, Sunday, Tuesday. And then Saturday, we re-immerse ourselves in the, in the biblical scripts of God's heart for his children. I'm not a slave to society. I'm not a slave to culture. I'm not a slave to anybody. I'm a child of God. And then we go back and on and on with ruthless regularity. We're being washed from the scripts that the world tries to give us. We're no longer slaves to Egypt. And that's the price, uh, the problem, right? Is that for a lot of us, or maybe at least some of us, we don't truly know ourselves. We don't know who we are. We've lived our entire lives being told who we're supposed to be, either by our, our family of origin, or by our employers, or by our coworkers, or by our families, or by our friends, or by other people. We allow other people to tell us. And so it's not just that we're enslaved by others, or metaphorical Egypt, for us. But often we're enslaved to ourselves. We don't know who we are. And the Sabbath is a beautiful weekly glimpse into something better that you were created for. The Sabbath itself is not the transformative thing. Just like any spiritual practice, it's not reading the Bible or getting down and praying or church attendance or generous giving that is in itself transformational. All of those things are meant to point us to something that is, amen? Even the Sabbath. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 through 17, Paul is actually correcting a group of people that's making it all about the practices. For them, uh, it's the Sabbath. There's some other things that we probably don't do, or maybe we do. New moon festivals, Santa Barbara religious festivals, stuff like that. And he's trying to recalibrate them like Jesus did. And he's saying, hey, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. Don't let people judge you for how you practice those things. Why? All of these, including the Sabbath, are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Jesus. Do you hear that? The Sabbath points to Jesus, 
That is, by the way, where we get the name of our church. Jesus is reality. And all of these things are meant to recalibrate us to Jesus. It's not Sabbath for Sabbath's sake. It's not worship for worship's sake. It's not faith for faith's sake. It's not prayer for prayer's sake. It's all of those things for Jesus to open our eyes and our hearts and our minds and to be satiated by the transforming, healing presence of the Messiah, the Savior of the world, and the Lord of Lords. It's Jesus that actually provides rest for the weary soul. How many of you are weary this morning? Any moms in the house? I'm weary. (laughs) Jesus is the one who provides rest. And it's not by adding another practice or doing stuff that is actually going to tap into the eternal capacity of your soul. I love Ecclesiastes, I think it's chapter 7, that says he stamped eternity on each of your hearts. The capacity that your soul was made for is a, is a, a, is a deep well. And in Acts chapter 17, Paul says that God put human beings all over the face of the earth for the purpose that they would seek and search after God and to be found by him. You were created with an eternal well that was meant to be filled, and God made you to seek for him that he would be found, and you would be filled with all the fullness of God, Ephesians chapter 3. That's, that's your destiny. <laughs> and Jesus throws out an invitation to everyone who listens that is tired of being dictated by the scripts of the world around them when he says, hey, come to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you the rest you have been looking for. Take my yoke upon you. Yoke uh, referring to the way that he thinks of th- the way that he views life, the way that he uh, the way that he approaches life. Take the way that I do things upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My way of doing things is easy. And my burden, you will find, is light. Some of you are reading that and you're like, I've been walking the Christian walk just so long and so hard. I don't believe that anymore. It is not light. It is not easy. Is it possible that it is because you have been messing with God's rhythms in your life? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9 through 10 says that there remains today a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For who has ever entered God's rest is also rested from his works as God did from him. There is rest meant for you. No matter where you are, what season in your life, there is a, and I'm not talking about an extended nap, although that might count. Maybe that's what you need, a nap and a snack. I'm talking about something deeper, you understand? Rest for the soul, the ability to work hard, to pound out, uh, to pound out that, that weekly schedule, to hit that grind, but to do so from a place of eternal rest. That is what you are made for. That is what is there waiting for you. And Jesus is the rest we need. And I think a lot of people in this building believe that already. Jesus is my rest. Yet you're working yourself into the ground. And you're not able to experience the rest that already belongs to you in Christ. The truth is, Jesus is the rest we need, but we still need to slow down to experience the rest that we have. If I can uh, explain this uh, 
via story, because I love talking about my kids. Uh, Jude, who's uh, almost four, loves eating food. Probably like all kids, but he makes a sport out of it. And one of our traditions, something that we sometimes do on our Sabbath day, is eat pancakes. And the rest of us eat the pancakes, but he's just in it for the syrup, right? (laughs) And for him, like, he won't even eat the pancake. For him, the function of the pancake is there to contain the syrup. The bigger the pancake, the more syrup. And so here's how it goes down. We make pancakes, we turn them into shapes, a truck here, a snowman here, and then a big old plate-sized pancake for Jude. And we'll pray, we'll start eating, and immediately Jude, without even using his hands, just sugar. <laughs> and then you just hear his face. Just, <laughs> just, just without taking a breath, we're like, hey, come up for some air, bro. And then he comes up just without any hands and you see this stripe of, of, of syrup just going all the way down his face in a line and the biggest smile on his face you've ever seen. And then he says it, just like he always does to Brianna. More syrup, mom, more syrup. For Jude, it's not about the pancake. It's about the syrup. And the pancake is his container to drink deeply of the syrup. that's what the Sabbath is supposed to be like (laughs) he knew it was coming right (laughs) that's literally what it's supposed to function as the Sabbath is supposed to be a container by which we drink deeply we're not talking about hey just take a day off Oh, go on a vacation. Stop working. Yeah, those things are cool. The Sabbath is more than that. The Sabbath is a glimpse of the kingdom of God. The Sabbath is a container. It is not the thing. You do not eat the container. The Sabbath is a container to carry that which you are about to drink deeply of. Jesus. Slowing down to spend time with Jesus. Some of you, perhaps, uh, you know, when I first got saved, I... I remember being told it's by grace that you were saved, not by anything that you do, which is the truest thing about us. But I took that so far as to say, well, I don't need to do anything. I don't need to actively engage in this life in Christ. Completely misunderstood the passage. I love, this, uh, I love what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2 when he says to work out your salvation with fear and tre- holy fear and trembling For it is God who is at work in you to work and to will for his good pleasure. That last line is amazing, right? Work out what God has already worked in. That God is somehow working in you new desires and new abilities. All you need to do, you don't need to work for them. You just need to work out them. Notice that Paul doesn't say work for your salvation. He says to work out your salvation. Two very different things. We we work for something that we don't already have. But by grace through faith, you are in Christ. You have all the blessings of the kingdom of God on your lap for the taking. You don't need to work for anything. You have those things because God loves you, but you do need to work them out. You guys ever uh, gotten that pizza dough in the bag at TJ's? It's like in the wrapped cellophane. You ever use that stuff? You have to kind of smush it out yourself. I hate that stuff. 
I'm convinced that someone invented pizza dough in a bag at TJ's just to mess with humanity. Because when you take it out, for those of you that have used it before, you're, you're supposed to net the dough into a perfect circle, and it's supposed to go perfect, you know, it's supposed to kind of uh, turn into a, a circle of pizza dough that you can put all the stuff on. It never turns out that way. I net one part over this way, and then I concentrate on this side. This side just sucks back in, just <laughs> I'm like, you stay. I put it, I, I use a rolling pin. I push this side out. I put my hand there. I push this side out, use my foot, kind of kick the other side, take it off. Just like a, like a yo-yo. And you all have that dream. For those of you that like making pizza, you have what you're visualizing it's going to be like, right? You're just, uh, just an Italian, like dressed in uh, your cooking schmock, and you're just twirling a nine-foot-long pizza in a perfect circle as you're mixing a salad, and it just never turns out that way. I, br- I bring this up because you don't need to work for the pizza dough. You already have it. You have all the ingredients that are necessary for making a decent, a decent pizza. But you do need to work out the dough. You've been given everything that you need, but you need to press and push and be patient and work through those ingredients in the same way as believers, we've been given every ingredient that we will need to live a life of thriving in the kingdom of God. But that doesn't mean we sit and do nothing. It means we work out that which we have been given. The Sabbath is that board upon which we push the dough. The Sabbath is the container by which we carry all of those ingredients. And I'll talk about the ingredients Uh, when I close in a minute. Uh, But I want to talk about two equal but opposite errors. And the first one is probably the most common one. It's for us to say, ah, no Sabbath, I'll be fine. For some of you, the Sabbath might be, might remind you of some archaic, old, puritanical artifact from years prior that nobody does anymore, which is interesting. But it's in the Ten Commandments. Nobody does that with thou shalt not murder, right? well, I'm not really feeling that one today. God, I feel like you're trying to put me in a box here, okay? But there it is, the Sabbath, right in the middle of all the other important ones. And yet perhaps it shines the most brightly because it speaks of God's heart for humanity. You're no longer slaves. You were meant for more than just doing to be productive. The other error is on the other side. It's to do a Sabbath or to do any kind of spiritual practice, but to do it badly, to make it all about the rules, to take on the mantle of the Pharisees and say, it's all about what I'm doing. You miss sight of the person that it's pointing you towards. So on one hand, just disregarding a great gift of God altogether, and on the other hand, making it all about what you can do or not do. I want to end uh, this morning by presenting you with a better way. A way that if you find yourself so risky this week, you might try and never turn back. I want to give you a few things about how you can enjoy the Sabbath and taste of the kingdom the Jesus way. The first thing you got to do, as we discussed, is you have to create a container. 
as Paul said, as Jesus would say, it doesn't have to be Saturday, it doesn't have to be Friday, it doesn't have to be Monday. Just carve out a container. It doesn't have to be this length of time or this length of time. Don't fall into the rut of the Pharisees and copy other people or hoist upon yourself what other people are doing or not doing. Just ask ask yourself, in what part of the week can I carve out a container so that I can start filling it with the ingredients of the kingdom of God? First thing you want to do, and I would challenge you to just try this, not just one week, I'd say a few weeks. Just try it for a few weeks. You'll make mistakes, you might forget a few things, it might be challenging at first, but just give it a go and see if you never turn back. First thing you want to do is create a container. You need a day or a part of a day. Brianna and I, uh, not because we have to, but because this is the way that our week works, is we do the traditional Friday night, Friday evening to Saturday evening. That is our container. That is a container by which we drop all of the ingredients. For you, it might be another time. It might be shorter. It might be longer. Then you want to start, uh, this is not just a day off. Uh, and it's really not a day off if you have kids, which is why we got to get creative. But it's all about the ingredients. And I discussed this at length. I won't take too much time explaining all of this, but when we spoke on the Sabbath in our Emotionally Healthy Spirituality series, Messy Church, you can revisit that and you want. I'll just give you a quick recap. When you carve out that container, whether it's this day or that day, you want to start putting in it these three ingredients. The first one, uh, what the Jewish people would do extravagantly is worship. Now, worship is nuanced and replete. There are many ways to do this, and there are going to be many ways for you to do it, and it's not going to look the same as me. For some of you, it might be opening your Bible early in the morning and spending time with God. For others, it might be going on a long hike by yourself in silence and solitude. For others, it might be prayer. It might be reading a good spiritual devotional. It might be uh, not silence and solitude. It might be being with uh, other spiritual friends and talking about uh, the things that God has done, something like that. But in what ways are you worshiping? What is worship? It's really that that right connection between uh, humanity and God. Are you connecting? Are you pausing? The second thing is rest. Sabbath literally means to cease from all your work. Now, we also don't want to fall into the rut of the Pharisees where we stamp everything uniformly and universally. What's work for me is not going to be work for you. For example, uh, I love to cook. Not great at it, but I love to do it. Uh, If you're a full-time chef, you're probably not going to want to do that on your Sabbath. Uh, or my wife doesn't like, to, uh, doesn't like to do that either. That's work for her. For me, there's something about it. When I come home from work, uh, being able to be creative in the kitchen shuts off the work part of my brain and activates the creative side of me. I'm able to actually enjoy my day and forget the emails and all of the obligations. It's actually healthy for me. What is it for you? Uh, for me... Uh, Come Friday, Friday evening, I, I kind of have an idea because I've been practicing this for a little bit, but I, I already know what the list of work things for me is that i got to turn off. Uh, and one of those things is anything that has to do with the Internet, right? Uh, that might not be what it is for you, but for me, I have to turn certain things off. And as I did that for a month, two months, 
three months, something changed in my home. I was more present with God. I was more present with my wife, with my kids. I started thinking about things that I delighted in, not things that I had to do. It was incredible. What are things that you need to slow down from? What are things that you need to turn off so that you can be present with God and others and even yourself? The third thing is just as important, and this is the one I end on. It's delight. The Jewish people did it right. The Sabbath was not meant to be discouraging. It was meant for delight. I'll make this one simple for you. The third ingredient that we see often uh, expressed in the Sabbath. What are the things in your life that are life-giving to you? The things that you do that do not drain you, they fill you. Do that. I'll give you my six because I've already determined what they are. They're pretty simple. They're not like crazy, right? They're deep conversations with my wife. It's laughing and wrestling with my kids. It's surfing. It's working out. It's cooking. And sometimes it's a power nap. (laughs) I can't do all of those things in the course of one day, but you better believe that my Saturdays are filled with a lot of those things. What is it for you? Some of you are looking for the tagline, like, okay, I see what you're saying, but where, where's God calling me to something crazy, you know? This is a gift of God. This is a salvation of God being tasted by his people, if they would let him. If you would just but create a container from which to drink deeply. Bree and I have been practicing this. We didn't do it all of our Christian life. We didn't even do it for most of the time I've been at Reality. This is a recent thing, a couple of years. Um, and we don't do it perfectly. Sometimes we forget. Sometimes emergencies come up. That's okay. We're flexible. But we've gotten into a rhythm where we have tasted God's heart. And I'm telling you, it has changed our life. Not just on Saturday, but on Monday too. Because I find myself going into Monday, even if Monday is chaotic, slightly more centered than I used to be. Brothers and sisters, you are not meant to be a cog in a wheel. You might work in a job that tells you that you are, but you've been given a new identity. And if you want to taste and see your identity in Christ, I want to challenge you to pick up some of the containers that God has given us in order to do that. Start small. Try it out and see if you are not radically transformed, little by little, by the presence of God in your life. I'm going to ask James uh, and the rest of the team to come out here. And it's, uh, it's a perfect time for us as believers or visitors or the spiritually curious. Not to do a Sabbath right this instant but to think about what's behind it. This idea that God's people are supposed to pause, slow down, and be with Jesus. That brothers and sisters, wherever you're at, wherever you're from, for whatever reason that you came into this church to begin with, whatever's driving you or causing you or affecting you or influencing you, may your scripts be renewed by the gospel script of Jesus Christ, that you 
are not loved because of your value so much as you are valued because of how much God loves you. And for that reason, God tells former slaves, stop, enjoy, and let's be together. Maybe you can just do that for like the next 15 minutes to whet your appetite.